And then we listened to the Marin interview after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you're wondering you? how sad, why I'm so sad? Yeah. Is, that, is that what the question is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really, we just want to dig even deeper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to We're Gonna Need a Bigger Show, episode, I don't know what, was 56. 56? Yeah. That's where we are. Year and a half, 56 yep. episodes. <laughs> it feels good. You, you actually will need a bigger show. Right, at yeah, some yeah. point, yeah. we're going to. Yeah. Uh, today's a really special day mm-hmm. for, for us. Yep. Uh, we are here with Pat Healy. Hello. Uh, Hi guys, Pat. Thank Excellent you intro. so much for for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, we're here at the Chattanooga Film Festival. How's it been so far? Great. Uh, I got in pretty late the night before last, and then yesterday was uh, you know reception, and and then uh, uh, I saw the film "A Girl Walks Home Alone" at night, which I hadn't seen. Yeah, it's really good. It was wild. Yeah, we saw it in Nashville. It's like beautifully shot movie. I, uh, I was shocked that it was shot in California. I yeah, yeah, really yeah. Like, it's a movie that takes place in Iran. It's yeah. like yeah. Iranian vampire western, I guess is what they call yeah. it. And, and it just looks so authentic. Black and white scope, yeah. uh, anamorphic, old anamorphic lenses. So it's nuts. It looks nuts. great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that one That one really blew me away I just from kind of start to finish. You need yeah. to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> Iranian vampire <laughs> western. western. There you, you go. Don't have to tell me anything it's more. the first one. Yeah, the very first. Uh, so, well, thank you for sitting down with us. Thank today. you, really appreciate yeah. it. We're we're both big fans, uh, so this means a lot. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, we talked a little bit about that. We've in our research. I mean, we obviously listened to the movie crypt interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, we listened to the Marin interview, and one of the things that really struck me was just you. You have a lot of thoughts on on craft and 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 filmmaking. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of want to talk about that for a while today. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, just early on in growing up, what was what was your exposure to film and, and, and acting? Well, uh, in my house, I have three brothers, uh, two older brothers and one younger brother. My parents were always very much into the arts. So, you know, we were all encouraged at a really early age to, to do things. Two of my brothers are musicians. Uh, uh, my old, my brother is two years older than me, and I were are sort of the film geeks. So he's in the uh, restoration and and uh, preservation and film presentation uh, now, formerly of the George Eastman House, Rochester, New York, and Chicago International Film Festival, and now head of the uh, University of Wisconsin Cinematheque and uh, Wisconsin Film Festival. Wow. And then I, you so know, already got an in in those. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm headed there after this, actually, just to show the astrologer. Have you guys seen that movie yet? No. Oh, it's great. But uh, so, yeah, we were always, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, books and and records and and things in the house. And then, you know, in those days, it was you know going to the movies a lot because. You know, I'm old enough to to to. I didn't have a VCR until I was, you know. 13, 14 years old. Right. We didn't have cable until I was, uh, I don't know, 12 maybe. So uh, it was, you know, seeing old films on television. Um, if you were lucky enough to see them on public television, you could see them uncut, but mostly they were cut. A lot of the universal horror movies are short enough to fit in the commercial slotted, you know, 90 minutes. Because sure. uh, they're, you know, 70, 75 minutes sometimes. Uh, so, so a lot of those, and but mostly really comedy was 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 an early obsession. So, 
anything having anything to do with uh, uh, Saturday Night Live or SCTV, which was, you know, my world and, and sort of SCTV certainly still kind of is sure. like a lot of so much, you know, comes from my sensibility comes from that. Um, just you, as, as a person, have you ever pursued doing any kind of? Oh yeah, I do comedy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, like. I had a sketch group in LA, uh, uh, and I've you know I've done stand up, and I still do sketch. I just hosted a, a a sketch show at UCB in LA called the Midnight Show, which is sort of like their Saturday Night Live. They do it once a month at midnight, and have a guest host. So I do that stuff all the time. I. I what happened with me is I was into that stuff really heavily and seeing stuff on television, edited for television, things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and uh, Scorsese's film uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore and Paper Moon and What's Up Doc and, uh, you know, a lot of those sort of more, you know, adult films as a kid edited for television, The Exorcist, which scared the <laughs> shit out of me. My father told me it was a true story, too. So I was like, And my father had been a... You know, in the seminary training to be a priest oh, at one point. So, yeah, to, you know, told an eight-year-old kid that it was a true story. <laughs> and that was an edited for television version. So then when I was... I'm curious to know if uh, there are any of those that you saw as a kid edited and then you saw the real one later on. And kind of well, the, the most remarkable one was, I would say it was probably 19... It's probably 1980... They showed uh, National Lampoon's Animal House on, <laughs> on, on NBC. Right. Okay. Which was, that version was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And two, three years later when I saw it on cable, uh, my head exploded. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. couldn't believe right. that, what I was missing, but I, I, I already loved it. And, uh, you know, it remains one of my favorites. But, like, sure. it was, it's really wild. Like, you'd see the Planet of the Apes on the 3.30 movie uh-huh. after, right after school, and it's, it, it's like... An over, I think it's about a two-hour movie, and it was a 90-minute time slot right. with commercials. Right. So, like, it would start, and they'd already be, like, being chased by the apes <laughs> yeah. on the planet. You know, you don't know, yeah. like, the ending makes no sense at all, you know. 2001 starts to open the pod base. 2001 was funny. We, My brother and I actually went to – so, in the town we grew up in, the suburbs of Chicago, Arlington Heights, northwest suburbs, they had a great public library. In fact, we, we just – stopped there when we visited last year and it smells exactly the same it's amazing <laughs> yeah. but they had an amazing uh, you know library of uh, you know books of course but uh, uh, record albums and things like that but they would show films in 16 millimeter prints of things and we went to see 2001 you know shortly after Star Wars had come out because we were like oh man we're going to see this now right. I think we left after about a half an hour like <laughs> yeah. what the hell is this boring <laughs> now it's like you know it's I mean, top three movies I mean it might be the best movie ever made but you know I have my favorites but it I'm actually going to see it in 70 millimeter at the Cinerama Dome Uh, I've seen it in 70 I think three or four times but this is the first time I'll be able to see it in the Dome in Hollywood uh, when I get back that's incredible because they always show this digital print and I'm just like I can watch a Blu-ray at home but uh, the 70 print is beautiful I saw a new one the Academy made a couple of years ago at the Academy Theater. They just did Lawrence of Arabia, and I'm, I would, I'd kill Yeah, they show that a lot out yeah. there in 70 at the, at the Cinematheque. We have a, like a <clears throat> local art house theater. It's called the Belcourt. It's in Nashville. Oh, yeah, that, some of my stuff is played there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cheap Thrills played there. Yeah, I just have never been to Nashville because oh, every time it's like <laughs> something else is going on, like there's been films that's played at the festival there and things, yeah. and I just I haven't been able to make it. I think even my short that I directed years ago played there but I just at I, the there, festival yeah there was yeah. always I was working or something was right. going on they um 
Yeah, it's. I always check when they do retrospective screenings. I'm like, was it digital or 35? You know, or yeah. whatever. You know, it matters if you're yeah, going to go, absolutely. especially lay down a few bucks. So, I, you know, my I was always interested in acting. I was doing. Um, I, I I think what I wanted to be doing was making films and how you know being involved in make in movies. However, I could acting was just what I knew how to do. I you know, kids in growing up in the you know. 70s and early 80s didn't have access to all the stuff that they have now so uh, we did have a Super 8 projector my uh, camera my brother and I made a a silent Super 8 film called The Killer Cookies which is like a silent like a you know monster movie with with the Oreos I remember we we threw ketchup over our little baby brother who was probably five six years old at the time and he was just trauma no he was probably like three or four he was traumatized but uh, between that and The Exorcist being a true story, this sounds oh, it's just a fun house, yeah. <laughs> no therapy uh, here. Right, yeah. <laughs> now it's starting to yeah, it's starting to, to, to make it. sense to you a little bit. Yeah, there are places to lay down in here if you want to. No, no, no. I, I do that twice a week at home. It's fine. Uh, uh, and then yeah, so then like around uh, well, junior high, I guess maybe twelve. Uh, you know, I had seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was certainly something that was on television and um, some things like that. But the one that, that, that really did it was that the, and I think I talked about that on, on, on Marin, was the Pope of Greenwich Village. Because I'd seen Mickey Rourke in, yeah. in Diner and Body Heat and uh, maybe one other. But that was like, well, my mom took me to see that. Like, you know, occasionally you'd get to see a special movie. You know? Right. Uh, you know, she took me to see that and I just flip my wig and then I just wanted to be him so I yeah I think you know maybe I might have gone the route of comedy because in Chicago that strain with Second City and everything is just as strong as the you know so-called legitimate theater that I was a part of there was just Steppenwolf you know those are huge things but they're separate worlds they rarely cross even though they're right down the street from each other so but it was it was that moment, and that's you know he's my gateway drug to De Niro and Brando and all right. that stuff. And then every you know young guy wants to be the the the, the brooding angry young man. Yeah. And since I you know felt that way naturally anyway, uh, that was sort of where my focus tended to go. You know, in, in a really heavy Mickey Rourke, uh, Robert De Niro, you know Marlon Brando obsessions that 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 continue to this day. And and then sort of getting into college and doing some of the sketch stuff, but not really picking it up again until long after I was out in L.A. I'd been in L.A. about six years before I started. To, I had a lot of friends who did comedy, and the short film that I had made was a comedy, but I hadn't I hadn't acted in a lot of comedies. Um, and, you know, I'd tested for many pilots, some of which were half-hour comedies, but I, I, I never got the job, so... Uh, it was just something I started doing, and I had a natural affinity for it because I have a respect for it. And uh, stand-up is something that is very—it's uh, that's got to be your life's work if that's what you're going to do. You yeah. have to dedicate yourself to it. And I, I didn't have the—I think I don't—I I didn't I certainly didn't have the patience. I probably didn't have the you know ability unless I really wanted to focus on that. And I love this other stuff so much. So that's just sort of the way it went. And um, I have a question about yeah. the doing the uh, sitcom pilots, did you end up in a certain kind of role a lot or was it kind of all over the place where you like... When I was testing for stuff? Yeah, Yeah, I was usually, yeah, some kind of, you know, the buddy guy, you know, yeah. But, uh, 
probably not too different from my, you know something you've seen me do like in Inkkeepers or something. Sure. You know, it's just yeah. um, at the end of the day, you know, there's uh, who knows what kind of considerations. There's also it's all kinds of physical considerations and, and type, you know, that, that that they go for because television is such a such an immediate medium and it's pumped right into your home and it's it's they really want that specific type so that they don't have to explain the character sure. to anybody you know what i mean they just want that person that can pop and say those lines it's not putting it down it just is its own thing and well, one of the things that you because you, you call it the, you, the roles that you've taken on you call them fringe characters uh, uh, and that was that was really interesting to me huh. um and um I wonder because you know you said that you had this affinity for like Mickey Rourke and, and uh-huh. you know the kind of tough guy actors, and the roles that you've you've taken, um, you know, tend to be these these French characters. Mm. And I wonder uh, when did that like when did you come to that um, kind of agreement with yourself that you were like okay maybe like. I don't think it was a conscious uh, decision. You okay. know, I mean, I, I I think that you know a lot of what people don't understand is that you get cast in what you get cast in. you know you're not necessarily i mean i'm choosing things to a certain degree but more likely than not if i'm being offered a role in something it's you know i'm going to take it um you know and uh uh you know physically i i'm not a tough guy so it's like I, i certainly could work on that if i if i wanted to but i you know even in in my you know um best shape i'm 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 you know wiry you right. know i'm not i'm not a a bruiser so uh i think the upside to that is the uh the tough guys um tend to puff out yeah and maybe don't seem to be puffing out oh good well that's nice <laughs> good to know I'm trying to lay off the beer especially yeah, yeah. while i'm here but uh you know i think what unconsciously happens on both my part and the part of the people that are you know making the films is whatever's going on with me, uh, you know, I have felt, you know, to varying degrees, you know, throughout my life, a, a, a bit of a fringe character, you know. Sure. And um, even though I, I'm very sociable and I get along with people well and I, uh, I, I like people, and uh, I, I, I do, uh, you know, feel differently inside. And, sure. and I think that there's uh, something that comes particularly from years of, uh, you know, psychoanalysis and therapy, which is, uh, you know, you learn an empathy for yourself. Right. And that gives you a great empathy for other people as well. So probably any kind of character that I would take on that might seem unsympathetic on the page or to, to the, you know, untrained eye, to me, I'm. I, it's not even a conscious decision. I'm immediately looking for those things to to relate to right. and make them relatable. And I don't. I'm not concerned with this likability thing, which is a, a, a misnomer that people use a lot. Sure. That you have to like a character, or that you even have to like the character that you play. You know, it's they they need to be interesting. You have to find something in them. Yeah, they need yeah. to be compelling to watch, and 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 you need to understand them. And that's really what I'm primarily. Con- concern with is 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 uh you know what what will we do as artists is uh, you know illuminate uh, you know things about about the human condition or humanity and um i want people to understand what's going on right. it's okay if you don't like them but if you find it interesting you'll watch it for half hour or an hour or 90 minutes or two hours that was one of the interesting things when you I, it may have been 
yeah, I think it was the marriage show where you talked about uh, compliance. Mm-hmm. The the visceral reaction that, that people have to that. That was the most difficult one even for me to wrap sure. my head around to do. But yeah. just like wanting to open up that dialogue with people and be like, well, let's talk about this. You know, why, you know, what is, what is the, re- you know, what is the reaction? And then when you kind of spoke about you yourself, just finding those things in the character. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of self-hatred that I think all of us can relate to on some degree, you Absolutely. know, uh, like I said, at different times of my life, uh, and, you know, it can pop up at the oddest times and you don't even know that you're, you know, doing this sort of self-loathing. But uh, it's an understandable trait. It's, sure. it's I think, probably universally, um, you know, felt. But it's not universally, it's not universally acknowledged. Right. And what happens a lot is things get under people's skin unconsciously. And they react in the way that they feel uncomfortable. And they react to what they understand, they see, which is, you know, the, 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 the big word is, um, this, this offends me. Right. And they're not quite sure why it offends people. And this is why we have people making legislation about things that, that don't have anything to do with, you know, politics or, or any issue. You know, it's, it's something inside someone's self that makes them uncomfortable. You know, it's not to say that, uh, it's not so simplistic as to say, a, you know, an anti-gay politician is, is secretly gay or anything right. like that. It's just that, that, that they're not uncomfortable with getting in touch with that part of themselves. Sure. And they might find that, like, look, I'll look at that and see what that is, and it's not, there's nothing there, you know. But they won't even acknowledge that, 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 that there is a feminine side to them. So what's happening with compliance and a lot of what compliance is about and why, why you know, in, in Craig Zobel's analysis of the situation the real life situation that happened at least in part was that people who think that kind of thing would never happen to them and could never happen to them and that they would never do that are much more likely to do something than that than someone that goes like you know what it might be possible that i could get myself in this situation so i'm going to keep my eyes open sure you know, because who I don't know what I'm capable of. You know, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging something about that about yourself. Uh, it's you're not doing anything wrong. You're just acknowledging that there is a part of all of us as human beings that that might do something quote unquote wrong, and it's always the people that, and we find those people in the Q and A's, and we and, and you find those people online. You find them everywhere. You know. Uh, they're the ones shouting about how unbelievable it is and, and or saying, you know, it's it promotes rape culture or something like that, which is absurd. I mean, it's, you know, if any movie doesn't promote that, it's it's that, it's, you know, that's the, the, the opposite of that. Um, that, that some sort of form of exploitation or something is, is was that was really quite shocking and surprising to hear from people. How do you deal with like that specific criticism? I mean, it- well, that was, you know, the first screening at Sundance was it, we were blindsided by it, quite frankly. You know, a woman was screaming, rape is not entertainment, you know, at the, as, as soon as the credits started rolling. Jesus. And we said, we agree, let's yeah. talk about it, what, what's going on? And she was very upset, I don't know what it was going on, or, and there were a few people like that in the audience, and they all seemed to have, um, you know, some sort of emotional uh, reaction, visceral reaction to yeah. it. And, you know, it triggers people for other reasons, too. Absolutely. There are people who are legitimate, you know, victims of things, and... and whether they're conscious of it or they're suppressed, you know, things, it, it, it triggers something in people and sure. they react. And I certainly understand and empathize with that a lot. 
But I think there was a lot of, you know, that this is dumb and that, that would never be me or what, what uh, you know, the, the, the thing that I think makes reality television so important, uh, popular now is, you know, oh, look at the, the people that are, I'm so much better than, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Yeah. That's not me, you right. know, and it's like, well, uh, movies can be windows or they can be mirrors. They can be both. Sure. We have a lot of windows now. You know, we have a lot of these things that are superhero movies and things like that. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with those. We all enjoy those. Um, and But, you know, we don't have enough mirrors. And I don't think people like mirrors very much right now. I think that's... Uh, well, I was, just, I was thinking um, when you were talking that it's kind of... It goes back to the politicians thing that you, mm-hmm. were, you mentioned earlier about the legislation. It's like some people are way more concerned with being offended than they are about why they might be offended. Right. Like actually going any deeper than, you know, just being outraged. Right. But then also I feel like, you know, in you talking about, you know, trying to relate to the character and all that kind of thing, that's sort of the process of looking over that cliff. Whereas, of course. Whereas, you know, denying the fact that you could, you quote unquote, could ever do that is denying the fact that there's there's a cliff in the first place. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, or the abyss or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you know, in some of these roles, you know, particularly compliance and cheap thrills, I've talked a little bit about this. Like, you know, the biggest difference between doing those two movies, which were, you know, shot a couple years apart almost, uh, was that, you know, during the time of compliance, I wasn't in a great place personally and probably hadn't fully grasped i mean i'm always i'm still learning you know i fully grasped the 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 tool of being able to uh look into the abyss and pull my reel myself back mm. up again that's really important because you get stuck in it and it's uh really dangerous for your life and and for the it could be really bad for the work too because it's you sometimes see stuff that's just too much and it's it's you know it's too it's too painful to watch and sometimes that's important to see but sometimes you see someone it it, it sort of breaks the movie because you just you're watching someone suffering you know and and uh, that that can be a bit much I and mean, by the time I got the cheap thrills I had figured out you know certain ways to to, to reel myself back you know and I think it's just that in that acknowledgement that you're talking about which is that it is a it's just a trip that you're going on and you're going to go back home at the end of the day, you know? So uh, there's something in the back of your mind that allows you to go there and, and you can believe that it's real for every moment that it's happening. Um, but you know, know how to shut it off. Sure. That's, I mean, really interesting. You know, you've talked about your personal life while that all both movies were happening. You talked about, you know, just that idea of, of, you know, stepping away, reeling yourself back. I mean, because it just would stand a reason, even, you know, on Cheap Thrills, I mean, you're just putting so much of yourself out there. Yeah. That it's, you know, I just, I think that's a really interesting idea of being able to, to pull yourself Well, and there's, a, there's an important distinction, too, between, you know, using all of personal experience, which would be something that somebody like Lee Strasberg was, you know, very much interested in. But sure. Stella Adler, you know, from the same, you know, branch of of the of the actor studio, really believed a lot more in script analysis and and, and imagination, and, and I, I tend to fall into that category more. But you know, you're always going to be drawing from your personal experiences in some way. It's just a question of how much you want to put yourself out there. And sometimes, 
you surprise yourself, you know, that, you know, scene in, uh, in cheap thrills after, after I chopped my finger off is, you know, incredibly cathartic, but I, I, I can only prepare so much in that, you know, and I'll talk about some of this in this, you know, a- acting thing that I'm going to do this weekend here is just choosing a really strong action for the scene. Sure. You can't go like, I'm going to play hurt here or I'm going to play sad here or whatever, because it will come off as manufactured. Even right. if the audience isn't conscious of it, there will be something that won't really, you know, penetrate. And so you play the action and then this well of stuff that's inside me, you know, for all my life, you know, comes <laughs> out. out. And it's really interesting because the layers, there's the, there's the, there's the, you know, the screaming, which is like the anger. Right. And then beneath that is sadness. And then laughter comes out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So really you're thinking about when people are covering up, say, you know, people are angry about something or other or outraged, as you were talking about, or offended. You know, they're really like upset in some way and sad if they could get past that anger. And, and strangely enough, you know, f- past the sadness is, is just some kind of joy because right. there's a incredible cathartic release as, as painful as that looks uh it, it was incredibly cathartic i mean i have never felt better i i'm quite honestly so did that make it i mean the the, the famous story related to that is yeah. that they lose the they tape, got lost right? yeah they yeah lose the, the tape for that tape. well I mean, what's interesting about that is that yeah they they you know somebody got <laughs> i was just watching tootsie again where they <laughs> The guy spills the seltzer on the uh, celery seltzer tonic on the tape, and they have to do it live. And that's when he decides, you know, he's gonna, you know, show who he is. Right. And uh, you know, I had, I was, you know, I think you can see it on the making of on the on the disc, and you can see I'm destroyed. Yeah. I luckily had the prosthetic makeup on, so I I, I couldn't. You know, get too outraged or it all come off. Right. But uh, it kept me sort of zen in a way. And then, you know, I was like, well, it's gone, you know, so I have to do it again. And, and I wasn't sure. But I had the confidence from having done it. I, I might have explained this on the other show that it was like a tap, you know, a valve opened up and it stayed open. Right. And that's another thing that's there. It's not open all the time. It's not like, you know, the gate that's just like you know spraying sparks all the time it's like it closes too but when i need it i now trust in myself that it's there and it's accessible and that's sort of something that's come with age that's come with age and experience yeah it's just doing this a lot you know that that whole sort of malcolm gladwell ten thousand dollar rule i think applies to to my job as, as well as any others i've just logged a lot of hours doing this and and that goes for the you know that's somewhat there's technical things which are like, you know, where's the light, where's the camera, where's the mic, where's, you know, where do I need to be blocking-wise and all that stuff. And then there's the, the internal work that you do as an actor. And then it's a colossal amount of stuff. The thing we're talking about is all of that together. Yeah. I will say your blocking today is it's excellent. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Planned it all out. Yeah. We got a floor plan. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, all that stuff together with experience and age uh, – gets the place where you don't have to think about that stuff and then you can just show up and you know if you've done your prep work you know your internal prep work and you know prepared yourself physically like such the case with like you know cheap thrills there's a lot of physical preparation that goes into that so i don't get sick or hurt or whatever 
then you can just show up on the day and do, you know, as Spencer Tracy said, you know, just know your lines and don't bump into the furniture. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke, but it's <laughs> like it's one of those things that's that really true because he was saying that because not like it's an easy – I think it's interpreted often as like it's this easy thing that you, anyone could do. Right. He could do that because he had done all the work, you know. He <laughs> sure. could he'd show up. He was Spencer Tracy, right. and, and as long as he – knew his lines and didn't bump it in the furniture, he was going to be great, you right. know? He had There's that still quality. some unpacking involved in that statement, right. though. Yeah, Absolutely, just, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, you know, there's a, there's a danger in this sort of putting down of, of the craft that, you know, people that I really respect, like Brando or Anthony Hopkins do, and sure. and, and there's a danger in uh, pumping it up too much, obviously. You know, <laughs> right. as we've seen too many people on Entertainment Tonight... <laughs> I think what the character is, you know, it's like, uh, isn't this Fantastic Four eight? <laughs> you know, you know, like uh, that would be like a, a something that uh, uh, one of my acting teachers, Joan Shekel, would say. Uh, know how deep the pool is before you dive in. You don't want to hurt yourself, you know? <laughs> right. You might be doing a guest spot on, you know, NCIS uh, Baton Rouge, and you don't want to like, you know go too deep (laughs) that's good advice yeah Yeah. but uh yeah i mean it's these are all things that you know i'm i'm watching my work getting better and my life get get better you know my internal life get better and and um and you know the proof of that is that i can actually watch it now you know whereas like i can go back and look at stuff when i was younger I'd say before Great World of Sound, which was we shot in 2005. So, you know, I was in my early 30s. And uh, I can certainly see the, the, the talent and the ability and, and maybe there's a certain presence there. But it's, it's really difficult for me to watch because I, I really don't think I knew what it was doing. And I felt that about my life, too. I really didn't think I knew anything until I was, you know, 30, 33 years old. So one of the things you just said was that, you know, as you've, gotten older you've seen an improvement in your life and an improvement in your work uh we talked a little bit about it earlier i said i've, I've become a vegetarian i've, I've quit drinking yeah I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn 30 and it, it becomes this thing of good for you thank you uh <laughs> I, it becomes this no thing. i mean it's important to do it early because like your patterns get too uh, more set later on and also it's just like you know you look at leonard nimoy he quit smoking when he's 50 you know yeah. and he spent 30 some years in pain right you know, and I mean, well, the thing that that I think is is interesting that the parallels I've I've drawn. You know, you said you you saw the improvement. What do you think informed what? Do you think your life informed your work, or do you think your work informed your life? Well, I think it's it's uh, you know it's all part of the same thing, and I try not to separate it too much. Although there's obvious separation, you know, sure. but uh, you know, therapy for me was the great leveler you know that was the getting to know myself right and i think that what makes the work good or makes work bad when i see it at least from my interpretation is is you know someone that's not in touch with themselves or their feelings or don't seem to be um you know playing any kind of recognizable human (laughs) characteristics you know and uh you know seem to be People do a lot of like indicating of emotion, or you know, I'm supposed to be feeling that. And we, as audience members, have a, a shorthand, and we'll, we'll understand and follow the story along, but we might not feel it as deeply. Sure. And I just think that I had a real 
desire for as long as I can remember to be to under be understood and to understand myself. And you know, to be understood is obvious to get into the line of work I'm doing, which is essentially communication. You know, between myself and and many different people, people Absolutely. I'm working with in the audience, and uh, to understand, you know, to look inward, help me understand uh, everything outside. Sure. You know, and you know when you have that, uh, you know, empathy for yourself, the self love. You know, you 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 tend to give a lot of people, you know, cut a lot of people some slack. I think I think it's relatable in that. I mean, I feel the same way, you know, we're both directors and I feel like that's definitely the same kind of thing. You 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 have to to know yourself before you can really you know, you start to put so much into that work yeah. and 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 you have to again, you have to be able to pull yourself back and 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 it still look, it still happens. I I find myself on a on a on a road and, and uh, you know, been doing something for a while and, you know, I'm just kind of sort of coming out of a period of about a year where I kind of felt like I, I you know, I had some challenges in my life and, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure the work is good, but, but I, I feel uh, growth. Sure. But then sometimes you don't, you see that work a year later or two later and you see it, you see it, you didn't necessarily feel it. And, um, but, you know, you, I, I constantly want to be challenging myself and, and, and growing. Sure. You don't have to do that in a painful way. Every bit of growth doesn't have to be some smack in the head, you right. know, <laughs> yeah. that you give yourself or put yourself through some gauntlet of, you know, horribleness. But, right. um, you know, it tends to happen that, that there are times when things stack up against you and, you know, pile up and get worse. And the nice thing about being older is I've been through it enough to know that, that things always get better again. You can just hang in there and continue to try and, and grow. And everything's not your fault. So it's not sure. to say like that growth is all about like, what am I doing wrong? You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. it's really just holding on really tight. I mean, obviously what happened in 2008 with the economy is not any of our fault. Right. Um, but we were all suffering from it. And I mean, I'm really just recovering from it now. Sure. Sure. And it's really important. That's something you can do when you get older too, is, is learning not to internalize everything, which you do, (laughs) whether you admit it to yourself or not all the time when you're younger, just like, Oh, what am I doing wrong? And and I was raised Catholic. So I was really doing it, you know? And I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know, part Jewish. So it's like, uh, you know, like, yeah, it's just like a whole like thing. And that's something I only recently discovered, um, but it makes perfect sense. Um, But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's the work that I do. I'm so happy with not only because I I have a a long time, you know, lifetime love affair with, with it, with it all but that uh, it is analogous to leading a good life from my perspective, which is just, you know, digging deep and and trying to understand and and grow from things and and trying to communicate that to others. So to your point about growth and, you know, your, your career and your, you know, craft, whatever that may be. um, I remember reading, there was this new agey book I picked up at a Barnes and Noble one time, just passing time. And it, the only thing that stuck with me is it said something like, uh, the path of improvement is 
basically like walking through fog. Mm. Like you can't see. It's it's a lot of time hard to judge how That's far right. you've come or where you are exactly, but you are walking forward. Yeah. So there's something. Well, there's that something was like uh, the uh, famous baseball player Satchel Paige, who was one of my father's heroes. You know, he he used to say these. You know incredibly simple things but you know they were profound you know and he said you know he was, said don't look back somebody might be gaining on you you know it's right. like really it's like he also said don't eat fried foods they scurry up the blood many many years before people were saying <laughs> but uh yeah you know you, 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 you just keep going yeah um i say that to a lot of people who you know and this came up on the movie crypt podcast obviously like you know there's people that are that are really bad off inside and um i've been there uh and and uh you know sometimes just the fact that you have people that love you and you know are going to be destroyed if anything happens to you yeah is is enough to, to 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 just keep going you know um you know this past year just from a financialist perspective it's it's really great to to have come to a place where i i I have the respect of my peers and, and the audience, and I'm getting constant um, affirmations of that. And sometimes it doesn't change the fact that you're you can't pay your rent. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't. It also doesn't negate it either. Right. You know, you can take it in. Sometimes and then you, you know, have to separate the two. Yeah, absolutely, a lot. Yeah. But uh, you know, now things have turned around again, and and they're fine. And I'm like, well. I know that that's going to happen, and I guess it makes it easier to get through it now, but it's still in the moment. It's just like, oh, those day-to-day things drive you crazy. And I never think anymore like, you know, this is hopeless or yeah. things aren't going to get better, but it's it's still hard to get through, but not not as hard. You know, there were times when I just, I just you know, thought, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do, you know? There's something really powerful in surrender, too. And I don't, you know, I'm not a religious person or um, I don't even know if I would necessarily call myself a spiritual person. But in the same way that I'm constantly struggling to understand myself and others and I'm trying to understand the universe. And I think there's a great, there's great mystery to the way the universe works. And, you know, just recently, like in the last few weeks, uh, or last you know month or so, it's been building up over the last year. I've, sure. I've said a number of things out loud, which is just like, look, I guess I'm just going to have to you know do this or that, or that's or I'll, I'll take this job, or you know, I just my quality of life is suffering so much. I, I just you know, and then you know, then the next day there's a phone call, and then there's you know, and it's like, I don't know what that is, but that's that's happened a lot, right. like in my life where you just kind of let go, you know, and and. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Maybe it's just a releasing attention that 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 um, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, just because I don't have a, a firm belief system in place other than what I work on in therapy is you know some energy shift somehow and and you know things end up being all right. You know sure. you can't control everything. You know that might even be the biggest lesson about growing up is just this idea that you can control everything right and there are things that you can control like you're talking about like changing up your diet and things like that 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 are that are absolutely things that you can control but 
there's a whole world of external circumstances that you can't do anything about. Well, it's it's very much this thing of of figuring out, at least for me anyway, is figuring out what can I I control and what can't I control. Yeah. Because I was, I mean, I was in a spiral of of you know, it was going bad fast. Yeah. And it was this thing of really taking taking a hard look and saying, okay, now I can I can do this. And, you know, maybe that'll help improve my quality of life, which it has tremendously. Right. Um, but then things, you know, like specifically like us, we're working on a new film and like when things don't move quite the way you want them to and th- you just can't control that all the time. You do yeah. the work that you can and just make that, you know, you have to make that distinction. Always. Yeah. 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 Because you could really beat yourself up. Yeah. And then you just make it worse and you actually put yourself farther from your goal. <laughs> sure. You're yeah. less capable. Absolutely. Because you've reduced yourself to this, you know, loser who's, sure, you know, sure. incapable of getting this thing done and this thing is impossible. You right. Know? As, uh, a, as a younger person, did you get really, um, like, if you didn't get a part or, you know, the sitcoms, they didn't get picked up, like that kind of thing, was that something you took really hard? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still happening. You know, rejection is still one of the hardest things about what I do. And, and um, the sitcoms and stuff, like... It was always this double-edged sword where I could get mad at myself because it was something I didn't want to do in the first place. But they, when you test for something, so you audition for the, you know, the creatives, and they say, like, we're bringing you to the network, you know, executives. They make you sign the contract so you see how much money you're going to get. <laughs> no. Before it's even. Yeah, and it's like you and two other people. Yeah. So then you're really invested in getting it. And when you don't get it, you're not only depressed that you didn't get it, but you're pissed at yourself that you got excited <laughs> right. that you wanted it, you know? You made those plans. It's horrible. Paycheck. It's right. such a vicious cycle. And, and, like, I don't know how you get out of that. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know? Because, uh, you know, yes, there, there are things definitely that uh, I really wanted that I didn't get. There are things that went away that were going to happen. Um, we went in a different direction or whatever, you know. Um, you know, recently there was something I really wanted, and they they cast a uh, they cast a much older person. Sure, that was clearly what they wanted. Right, it has nothing to do with me, you right. know. And so, I have to look at all of it now as like not having. As long as I know that I've done everything that I possibly can and I've prepared. Uh, then I feel good about what I did and I let it go when it's over. Right. But if I really want it, it, it lingers and I'll be asking about it and I'll be bugging my reps and I'll be, I'll be sure. doing all this stuff and then I'll be, you know, upset. But like for like a day now, it used to like, you know, ruin my life for, for months. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that movie Swingers came out right around the time that I moved to L.A. Right. And that was the, that's the neighborhood I live in generally and, and even some of those guys are friends of mine. Um, and there's a line in there where he's, there's a couple of guys talking about rejection in the, in the bar, and, and one of the guys says, oh, I still haven't told my mom I didn't get Star Trek yet. And it's like, it's been on the air for like three years or something at that point. I didn't get, I didn't get Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's like, it's like it's been on the air for like four or five years. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, like, because, you know, you talk to your parents on the phone, and you're like, you know, you're just filling time at the beginning, and you're sure. going like, "Well, what's going on?" Well, I'm going in for the Green Mile, you know, some movie with Tom Hanks, and, uh, and oh, great! And then you know, you went and you did one day, and you you read, and you didn't get it, 
and three months later, it comes up again. Well, hey, hey, what's going on with the Green Mile? And, and you're like, oh fuck, I've already given up on this. Like, why'd you bring that up? And then like just opens the wound. So you just st- learn to stop. Yes, yes, we you, made the mistake. We were we had this. We finished our first film, and then a producer, you know, came on board and offered us, you know, the world with that that same money amount attached to it. Yeah. And then we're gonna get a star, and so you start telling people, yeah. and then everything falls apart, and you're just. As still, this is this is almost a year ago. Well, it's human nature to want to share good news, well, you know. Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah, that's it. Can be. I haven't had too anything too severe in that direction, but but that yeah, those can be. You can make that much more brutal on yourself. You <laughs> right. know, keep it under your hat. Yeah. So the last, I mean, I want to talk a, a little bit about just kind of genre. I mean, with mm-hmm. you know, innkeepers, cheap thrills, uh, starry eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like working with Ty West and Travis Stevens and, you know, first-time directors. Yeah. And, uh, I do want to touch on the workshop you're doing. Okay. And uh, if, I, if we have time, I do want to touch on uh, Halloween 3. <laughs> well, there's a whole podcast out there about that. Um, I had the great pleasure of meeting Tom Atkins a few weeks ago. Oh, and man. He's incredible. He, uh, yeah, I did my first uh, horror convention down there, Horror Hound in Cincinnati. We were talking about that, and, and uh, he was two two seats down from me. He's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Were so you was, and AJ seated in the same area? Yeah, we were next to each other for okay. most of it, yeah. Uh, so we're here at the Chattanooga Film Festival, and, I mean, one of the things that struck Cam and I the most about it is it has a very uh, uh, great focus on kind of midnight movies and mm-hmm. genre cinema, and... Over, you know, some of the bigger things you've done over the last few years have been uh, maybe not exactly genre-specific, but they definitely feel like they fit the the mold of, of something like this or like a midnight movie. Yeah. Um, kind of going back to, to Innkeepers, you, you talked earlier, you know, that it's that you take the roles that are offered to you. I mean, was that something that they came to you with? Yeah. Well, I, I met Ty West at... I think Los Angeles Film Festival in 2007 when I was out with Great World of Sound and he had a, a Trigger Man. Okay. And so we met a little bit. Sure. And we had a lot of mutual friends. And then I saw House of the Devil and I really just, like, it rocked me. Like, I just thought that was just a great, great movie and just like, oh, I mean, just sort of like fell out of me like a ton of bricks like it just came out of nowhere (laughs) it was just perfect and so beautifully directed and uh you know i'm a i'm a cinephile i love all kinds of movies but i did have a certain affinity for cult movies because when i was young my brother discovered the danny peary books the cult movies books and and we found out about so many movies from those books and in the days before you know, home video was was rampant and cable was rampant, it was it sometimes took us, I mean, maybe twenty years some to see some wow. of those movies. Yeah. You know, they weren't available on the you know until DVD, and even then, some just recently. You know, right. uh, so a lot of those films, you know, tend to be the midnight movies and or, or you know, in some cases, horror films and stuff. Ty, right after I saw that movie, I got a got an email from our friend Amy Simons, who's an actress, who said that, you know, Ty was looking for me. And I was ready to just, like, i just seen it. I was like, I'll do whatever you want. And that's basically what I said, you know. And, uh, you know, he 
he's had a desire. I don't think it's any secret to, to get away from. He always has to get away from the horror genre. Right. He made his first film with Larry because Larry Fessenden was his, you know, mentor, and and that's what got financed, and that's what continued to get financed. And even leading up to the Innkeepers, there were a few other projects that he was trying to do that just that was the one that got the money. You know, sure. that's where people, you know, that's what people will pay to see. Because he's such a talent. I mean, he's just such a. There, there's there's so few uh, directors now with with such a command over over film language that that he has and the amazing work that he does. You know, not only on the set, but in particular in, in post with with uh, editing and sound design and all the stuff. You right. know, he really does understand filmmaking. So it's exciting now. He's you know he's just made this western uh, with with Ethan Hawke and John Travolta that'll be out later this year and shot on 35 out there in New Mexico and I haven't seen it yet but uh, I'm sure it's going to be great Um, but uh, yeah I really just wanted to work with Ty and uh, and we set it up and it it took a little while to cast the other actors so Sarah and I really met the day before we started shooting but we, uh, we hit it off really well and just had a natural chemistry with each other, you know. We all of us, you know, share a, a similar dumb sense of humor. Right. So that that that's that, always helpful. That's why it you know feels very much like you know people hanging out, um, you know, having fun because that's what we were doing, and we were and that's the, the we were that's, living there, and we were eating there, and we were sleeping oh, we there. Stayed, stayed there, and everything. yeah, yeah. We never. Wow. There were times where I realized where I went out to like get something, and I realized I. I adjusted my eyes to the light that I hadn't left in three days, <laughs> sure. you know. Um, and so, you know, that was because Ty had seen Great World of Sound and, and liked me and that. And and Evan uh, doing – in between there was Compliance, which obviously I had done Great World of Sound with Craig, so he asked me to do that even though it was a different role. Sure. And then Evan had seen Great World of Sound as well, Evan Katz. Right. And uh, that was why he wanted me to do – cheap thrills because he wanted there's a version of that movie that's very kooky and nutty and wacky and, and he wanted a really grounded realistic thing and that it would be funny and horrific and and all the things it needed to be if we played it right well you or David or Ethan could all easily yeah. have you know made that I mean just and we all made a conscious decision not to do sure, that sure uh, but the ironic thing was that you know the producers were, you know some of the producers were not convinced about hiring me even though it was such a low budget you know they always want to get some name that they can put a head they can put on a video box so uh compliance came out two months after i had met with evan and travis stevens and uh it you know opened in one theater in new york it did very well and got great reviews and i got great reviews and that allowed them to hire me sure but i don't even know that evan was knew that I could go to the depths <laughs> that I could go to because he hadn't he didn't see the movie until a week after because it didn't open up to LA till the week after so he didn't see it until actually I hired me wow. so uh, he just was sort of going on a gut instinct so but I, I you know I had no plan to 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 be you know a horror movie actor or anything like that and and uh, you know so last weekend I did a convention, you know, like that's not something I thought I would ever do, but I used to go to those as kids, so sure. it's like, it was cool. And I didn't ever think of Cheap Thrills as a genre movie, you know, it, it, 
you know, it's it's a marketing label and it's got some gore in it. And if it brings more people in to see it, that's great. But well, uh, I think what's interesting about Innkeepers to an extent, but definitely Cheap Thrills and, and Starry Eyes, and the fact that you're involved and that Travis is involved, yeah. it's that it's this thing of these are films that defy genre expectations. Sure. Um, so I would imagine that's attractive. About yeah, it. I mean, Starry Eyes was uh, just a couple of days' work for me, sure. and it was because Travis, you know, I'd worked with on Cheap Thrills, and he asked me to do it, and I, 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 I like the part, or I should say, you know, again, I, I, I saw that that part could be, um, uh, it as written, it could be interpreted as just that part that you've seen before and I, I I said I would only do it if he's just completely sincere and he completely means everything he says right and I and you and don't I said, know you yeah know, until, 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 until your last yeah he's really the only person that cares about her right. and and uh, you know a similar thing happened on Innkeepers where the scene where Sarah where I'm trying to tell her that I have you know I'm in love with her sure. and I can't yeah I'm doing that very sincerely, and I'm very heartbroken when I'm doing it. But it's funny when you watch it because it's real, because we all know what that is. And I suppose, although I haven't had direct experience with that, you know, being a manager or anything, I've certainly had my share of managers when I was younger. And and, um, I just thought, oh, well, it would just be interesting, like, uh, on top of, you know, whatever else we've talked about, why I like to do parts, I just... I want to do something different, and I want sure. to do something that's interesting. And and uh, yeah, I like my work in that movie because it's 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 different. You know, you haven't seen that before, and I hadn't done it before, certainly. And um, but again, you know, it wasn't like a plan. Like, oh, here, well, let's start doing these things. And I think you have to be careful to a certain degree. I certainly get offered a lot of those kinds of movies, sure. and I say no to a lot of them because they just they. they either aren't very good or don't pay well or both right. it has to be you know i say i don't know if you guys swear on here or not oh, but you know i I'll, <laughs> I'll eat shit uh financially creatively or personally but i won't do all three i try to get two out of the three you're lucky to get one right. now you usually make money or or you really have a good creative experience or you like the people that you worked with you know if you're Eating shit creatively, though, you know, it works out financially because I think we've all probably been there. I mean, does it, is that the one, those are the ones, do you ever feel like, yeah, you know? I don't ever regret it. I mean, if they pay the bills. Right. They pay the bills a lot because it's like, like television guest star work's been my bread and butter forever. I mean, I think I've done like 40 or something. And those, you know, if you get on a show like, I've done all the CBS crime procedurals. They just air all over the world all the time. So sure. you're getting checks every three months. Oh, wow. And so it's like, and they're not bad. They're personally, like, they're great to work on. And, like, they, you know, you get treated really well. Sure. And, you know, food is great. And, you know, you get your own room. And everybody's really nice and everything. It's just that you don't really get to do the kind of work that you'd like to do. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, because you, they're quick, they're written quickly, you get hired quickly, you shoot very quickly. And then, you know, nine out of ten times, all the work that you've done has been reduced to just your dialogue. Right. 
So any nuance or anything that you've done with the performance has just been reduced to, to um, you know, exposition. Well, that's and that. so you just don't see anything and, uh, you know... It's that great divider between, you know, film and television, I think, is, yeah. you know, th- that was one of the things I thought was really interesting that you said before was you put it... And we're talking about network stuff. Sure, I mean, yeah, I, obviously yeah. there's stuff in cable now right, that's, right. you know... Uh, but, you, you know, movies. you talk about just putting in that work and then it being reduced. That's something I had never considered before. Yeah, well, you just learn, like, you know, that was the thing I said about jumping in the pool. You know, right. you learn now. It's just like, I don't, I don't slack off. I put in, you know, just as much effort sure. and I give everybody what they need. And, and those are usually pretty long days. Right. But uh, you just don't expect to see, you know, I can go and look at cheap thrills or compliance or... Great World of Sound, or even Starry Eyes, and go and look at the work and and and, and be proud of it and learn from it. And the other stuff, I just don't. It's not that I'm not proud of it. It's just it's just nothing to be proud of. It's just not there. Sure. You know, you and, don't come up with a backstory for your character on NCIS. No, you do all the same, same stuff, stuff, but it just doesn't end up in it. Right. Okay. It just does not end up there. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> it's like you know, to, to you know. To the nth degree, it just, they just really cut back and forth to the heads talking. Right, yeah. And, you know, you know, you just don't see any of it. And the, the pick takes for different reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. Most filmmakers will pick the take that has the best performance, and they'll pick a take that's like, you know. The hair was a little better. Oh, whatever, yeah. Yeah. Is there, is or, there, or you know, whatever favors the star of the show, yeah. you know, sure, right. is not necessarily going to be the one that favors you. So, is are there any shows? And my, I should say, I'm not under any illusion that it's about me when I'm there. <laughs> right, you know, I know, yeah. I know why I'm there and and, and who it's for. You know, um, if you could, if I don't know if this is a question you can answer, but if there was <laughs> any show on cable or network that you could guest on or have like a, a little role in. What would you pick? Oh, God. There's so many good ones now. Um, you know, obviously Breaking Bad is, is gone, but Better Call Saul would be great. But I've, I've gone in for that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to get on that. I, you know, I went in for Breaking Bad quite a bit, and it's just for one reason or another, it just never happened. So, but the same people cast sure. Better Call Saul, so that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm ever there would ever be a reason for me to be on Game of Thrones, but obviously that would be just <laughs> amazing. True Detective, I oh, I, I read for. Um, I would have ended up being Ann Dowd's brother. I you know oh, that wow. that was they were you know Carrie Fukunaga was a big fan of Compliance, so he had they'd read both of us, but the thing they wanted a the guys described as a giant and a thing, so they really wanted a big guy, so sure. it ended up. As soon as they asked me how tall I was, uh, uh, that, that, that conversation was over. Um, I love Justified, but I think that's over now. Yeah. Um, uh, God, there's so many good ones, right? Yeah. yeah. Silicon Valley was the one that recently where they, they, they hired an older guy. I like that a lot. I like, I like Veep a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some friends on Veep. Yeah. And I, 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 I have that... Uh, I think that that kind of dry humor is is is, is funny to me, and and also I I think I'm good at it. I uh, um, Mad Men is ending. <laughs> um, God, all these shows are gone now. It's <laughs> sad. Be getting more to sad. Take place. Yeah, I think you know, like I quite honestly, with the way 
things are right now. I mean, movies will always be the number one important thing to me, but mm-hmm. but a job on a on one of these really good cable shows uh, would be great. Sure, because you're in one place, you know. Especially if it was in LA, because then you'd be at home and um uh and you you know you're playing one character, you know, for a really long time. That's mm-hmm. what's really satisfying about these bigger parts and these smaller movies is because you know you're really getting to do you know from soup to nuts you know just like a a full character you know from beginning to end and uh you know particularly with with cheap thrills which is like get to do everything i ever wanted to do my entire career in one movie you know so kind of talking about that i mean working with evan you know uh and then on star eyes as well i mean first time directors Mm -hmm. for something of that scope I mean, what's is that any different for you? I mean, and I know you've directed. I mean, is there an instinct to to put your two cents in about something? It all depends. I mean, I think the way I I'm try to say this without sounding like an asshole. <laughs> I was doing this movie last summer in Chicago with a friend of mine who's directing. He's great, and uh, and it was all uh, it took place at a at a teenager's birthday party, and so it was all these kids in their late teens and early twenties. Right. And then they would come up to me a lot and, and be like, oh, he's not, Stephen's not saying anything. I don't know. I'm doing a bad job. And, I, and I'd say to them, you don't want him to say anything. Right. You know, af- actors are often insecure and, and need the coddling. But the fact of the matter is if the director's not saying anything, you're doing great. Unless they're an idiot and then you'll find out like when you're <laughs> yeah, watching it. But usually you get a sense of it. Right. And and I think directors too sometimes, especially first timers, because I've done some shorts and things in the last couple of years. Because again, they're good roles, and right, you know, yeah. pays a little money, and it's not a huge commitment of time. Who feel like they're supposed to talk a lot, or maybe they've read in books that actors like to talk, and it's like I really don't. I like to do my homework and show up and play. And if you have adjustments and things, that's not to say like I won't ever listen to a director's note or anything sure. like that. But I found that the better ones and the better work that I do tends to be people who hire you because you're you and not because they want to shape you into something that they mm. think you should be. You right. know what I mean? That hasn't been discussed already before you've shown up on set. Sometimes you, know, sometimes you meet a director and it's like, oh, this is how we're going to do this character. You know? right. But the people that hire you and then don't seemingly want to use you for what you do it sort of baffle me. Yeah. yeah. And there's usually not a lot of talking that's involved with that because, you know, we get it, we're on the same page, and, and I'm able to do it. You right. know, there's adjustments here and there. Um, but uh, um, it's not to say that everything I do is, you know, perfect. And I don't even like to watch the movie until it's fully cut because I like to like to see it with all the sh- shit that I did cut out. Right. Um, but... Uh, you know, and editors are very important. No actors ever thank editors in, in acceptance speeches, which I think is bizarre. I would right. like to break that tradition if I ever get up there. But, um, yeah, it just all depends. But I, I find that most... You can you can thank any editor you want to right, right here. Oh, God. Mm, there's just so many. <laughs> is, there any, is, is there any editor you've worked with that you felt like was just... There's a few I know, like, you know, like Dylan Tishner is a guy that I work with on who who did Magnolia and, and Jesse James and, you know, he's somebody I have a personal relationship with and he's just a brilliant guy and he's, you know, he's really involved in the process from, from the beginning. Um, 
who uh, you know from the beginning of the script you know he's in, he's in conference with the director and and so he's you know uh, trying to be a filmmaker himself so i i think that's part to do with things very knowledgeable um you know, it was great people like Jane Rizzo, who 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 edited Craig's films. You know that she's fantastic, and you can talk to her about stuff and trust her opinion. Because editors seem to ha- need to have the best taste out of all all of the people in the post. You know, they really have to know what yep. a good take is and why. Sure. You know, and what cuts together well, and and you know they have an innate sense of that and. That's why so many more editors make great directors than than cinematographers. Right. Cinematographers rarely make good directors. Um, that it feels sometimes like the editor might have a better idea of what the movie is actually going to be and yeah. should be than the director sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, but I would, I would. It's so hard to say, you know. I mean, well, they say you have three cracks at your movie. You have the the script, you know the. The director's yeah. version and the editor's version. Of it, it's you know. rare that if you don't get it on the set that you're going to sure. get it in the editing right. room, but the, so much of it is uh, it's done in the Absolutely. editing room. If you asked Ty West, he would probably say, you know, that most of it is done there. You sure. know, but you know, if you asked, I mean, the editing in Cheap Thrills is, you know, top notch. But it was everything was captured there on the set right. as right. it needed to be. So um, you know, I, you know, it's it's hard to say which. Without really seeing, you know, everything laid out, and I'm really not there for that part of the process. Um, and there are actors like Bradley Cooper who are, you know, very involved in in the editing room almost every day, if they can be. Um, uh, my friend uh, Crispin Struthers, who's someone I've known forever, who was a PA on my short films, edited, uh, was nominated for an Academy Award two years in a row for for Silver Linings Playbook and An American Hustle, you know, oh, wow. and. He's, you know, that's a whole deep involved process, sure. and, you know, with with those actors and Bradley in particular. And um, I just, unless I'm asked to, I, I just sort of like to do my work there. And there's also something though that, like, I you know, sort of started with Zobel, and, and it's something I always say with people: I will do it many different ways. If right. you want to me to cry this time, if you want me to laugh that time, is I can, I'll, I won't sit there and say my character would never do that. I'll find a place. It's what I call metabolizing the information, you know. <laughs> right. Even doing it a little faster, doing it a little slower. I have to take that in and see what that means to me internally. Because if I do it mechanically, it's going to look mechanical. Right, right. I have to do it so that it makes sense. And directors know that. And our actor has to, you know, take that in. And that's why I don't like a director to, to get too much. Like, let's not talk about backstory and stuff like that. Because it's better if you just say faster and then I'll figure, you know, that part of right, it out. Right. But, uh... Some of the things, like in compliance, for example, are, you know, we're really, it's two sets, and we're really on the phone with each other the whole time, and there's a camera on each of us. Sure. Which is, you know, a remarkable feat of editing in and of itself. Absolutely. But but some of the stuff that Craig and Jane did was, like, I would do one where I was being very nice. Right. And I would do a different version of that same one where I was being really nasty. And you'd get different reactions out of Anne or, or, or Dream or whoever. But some of the reactions of me being nasty are contrasted with their reactions from me being nice. Sure. Sometimes you just like maybe even by accident find something there. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm aware that it's a, 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 and this helps that I began as a cinephile. Sure. Is that I'm super appreciative of the fact that ultimately it's going to be in their hands. And I'm willing to give them as much material as possible, as long as I can make it make sense to me. And quite frankly, if it's, if it doesn't make sense to me, it's probably not any good and they probably won't use it anyway. But, uh, I'm happy to do it any number of ways because in that sense that that kind of stuff is made in the editing room can sometimes be made better. Great. Yeah. Uh, what are, I mean, the last thing I wanted to touch on this weekend, you're doing several uh, acting workshops. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to know like, what was, you know, what caused or what made you want to start doing that? And, you know, what are you trying to offer to, to, you know, well, I've had, I've had a lot of great teachers, you know, over the years. And, and, um, I have a teacher in particular in, in LA, Joan Shekel, who teaches these labs for filmmakers mostly, but she does teach master acting class as well. And the classes are to help filmmakers. It's a lot of like first time filmmakers or people who are like, there's been music, you know, very successful commercial music video directors like John, uh, John Dayton, Valerie Ferris, who did We Did Little Miss Sunshine in there, or, or Jake Scott, and and who maybe don't have as much experience working with scripted material or actors. Sure. And her focus is really on 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 making all that stuff work together. And you know, you'll get a free acting class because as an actor, you can volunteer, but you know, to help these 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 directors out. Right. But um, you know, a lot of the work is making the scene. It's not enough just to be realistic because, you know, we have a lot of realistic acting on TV, which is a lot of like, people talking like this. And right. it's supposed to be like, but it's not interesting, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And a lot of what I was just talking about with the editing can make a scene more dynamic if it has, you know, peaks and valleys. And, and so it's a lot of work, you know, the, the sort of basic work will be in um, doing these sort of two-page scenes from things finding an overall action for a scene and then there's beat changes and those are the things that give it the 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 you know dynamism that a scene has right. and needs it makes it pop and and you'll find that you'll have the actors read through it and naturally find where the beat changes is like a, a change in tone or a movement will happen naturally and go like, that's a beat change and we'll find separate actions for each beat change right and we'll actually want to move physically on each beat change. Right. This is just one of the many things. But it it's good for film acting in particular because oftentimes that's where the cuts will be. And that's where you'll find it. Like they will find editing ideas on the set. Yeah. You know, doing from what an actor does, right. you know. And it could be a surprise to all of us in that moment. And, you know, just getting down and... and, and with a group of people, there's you know uh, five groups of two people. We're gonna do scenes, and we're gonna do that work. At least start off doing that, and we're gonna explore things physically. You know, um, some of it is picking really strong action verbs, and then you know let's physicalize what that word means to you because you can discover you know so many things within that or trying it this really intense scene like we're laughing about it let's see what happens maybe if one good idea comes out of that right. that you can use in the scene it's it's worthwhile and mostly it's just really you know it's playing you know so so much of this work and why i love acting the most is you know it combines all of the the intellectual the the emotional the physical and that that 
comes about as close to something spiritual as I can think of for myself. Sure. And um, it's fun. It's cathartic. Right. And it shouldn't be, you know, tense. In fact, if you're tense, you, you're physically cutting off, you know, modes of expression. And, uh, and you, you know, you're, you're going to get, you know, mentally and emotionally tense, too. Sure. Is um, this the sort of thing you felt like as a younger person you could have benefited yeah. from? I remember I took a movement class in college, maybe my sophomore year of college, and the first thing they do is they, you wear like a, you can wear your underwear, you can wear a swimsuit or whatever. I don't think they do it anymore because somebody got in trouble because they were told, you know, somebody made them strip down to their underwear and <laughs> somebody who wasn't in the theater department. But, uh, and they take pictures of you and you look at them. And I was the guy who stuck his neck way out like this and his head was ahead of him all the time. And then like the rest of my body just didn't get used, you know? And it was just like a thing of like relaxing back into myself. As soon as I did that, and it's like you open up all these pathways of people can't see what I'm doing now, but like... No, I'm trying it though. Yeah, it's just like, it's like, you know, you you, you plant your feet and your head goes back and it's not all stuck in here. It's not all intellectual. It's really using your entire body as an instrument. And that's your voice. That's you know every limb you have. It's every sort of sort of fiber of your being. And when you're really hitting it, you're really like in that place. Sure. Uh, you know, cheap thrills is the thing I'm most proud of because it's like really accessing all of that and really using all of those tools that I've learned and putting them into practice. You know, for for all the different things that happen in the movie, sometimes quite you know vibrantly physical. Sure. Um, that just makes, uh, I think, it, 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 again, you know, you don't have to like somebody, but you have to find it interesting and compelling to watch, right. you know. And, um, talking heads, like we're talking about on the TV shows, not, right. to me, not compelling. But a lot of people don't actually watch those. If sure. they watch, they have them on. Like, one of the best things I ever heard was Leslie Nielsen talking about Police Squad, you know, the show, before they did the movies. <laughs> right. He said the reason that the movie was the show wasn't successful is because you had to watch it. <laughs> you know, you actually had to look at it to get the jokes. I think a lot of people have these shows on and it has a certain rhythm and the, the people are talking and the crime is solved. And you, you can kind of half watch it and do your laundry or whatever. Right. You can watch five in a row on Netflix and make the dinner and do all the stuff <laughs> sure. you got to do. You know, um, that's not, uh, um, you know, that's not really what I'm interested in doing unless it's not eating shit financially as we talked <laughs> yeah. about. It's a different thing. Well, Pat, thank you so much for your Thanks, time. Thanks, guys. I, I really, enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a blast. Uh, well, that, that wraps it up for another bigger show. You have been... Cameron Beach I have been Mike D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Goodbye.